Hey, hey, well, all right. Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Research. I'm your host, Kevin Maurer. Today we're going to be doing something interesting. I'd like to read a little from my published works of Sebastian Heusler. In 2019, I published a uh, translation of his, uh, Rapier and Rapier and Dagger works, and I was uh, able to gather enough uh, biographical data about him and include that in this published work of mine from a few years ago. Uh, quite a few, uh, quite a few people out there have bought this already, and I'm happy about that. We hope it's helpful, and hope you learned something. So I'm basically going to do a little audiobook version of it from the first a few sections, first few chapters, the biological, biographical data about him. He's an interesting fellow, and I think he deserves to be studied today. His works. And it's also just interesting to learn about his um, his history, uh, his family tradition in the uh, book printing business, and uh, his study of the fencing arts, his participation in the Thirty Years' War, several of those major battles. Uh, even though he was a German, he went and fought for Denmark and Sweden. And, um, it, yeah, just a very fascinating guy. I found uh, writing the book and studying and researching, I learned quite a bit about that time. And uh, I'd like to share a lot of that with you here now. So let me just go ahead and uh, begin reading. I'll acknowledge first that uh, when I began this translation, uh, I had no idea where it was going to take me. I had done some previous translations of his Rapier and Dagger work, uh, his published works. He's got quite a few books out that are published in different years and uh, different versions of them. But it seems to be his 1615 uh, was his magnus opus. That was his one largest work. And a lot of the other uh, works were abridged versions of those or smaller versions. And I'm not really sure how that worked out because some of the dates that those uh, subsequent works uh, were published he was, he was not in Nuremberg. He was already at war. So we're thinking maybe the publisher uh, slapped some together for the family, for them to make some money. Uh, you'll find that he abandoned his original wife and kids and went off to war. You know, he's a bit of a rogue in some ways. But, but again, I think it speaks to his, uh, the spirit of his, uh, his, his passion and spirit for the fencing arts uh, is what, again, it makes him a very interesting fellow. Um, so I had written a, uh, several years ago, I had written a short biographical bit about him that I had discovered online through my research in Google Books and and whatnot and uh, done a, an impromptu translation of his uh, 1626 works on, on Repier and Dagger. And I wrote uh, a little short bi biographical history of him and there was a little bit out there, and it was interesting that he was a book from a book printer's family in Nuremberg, born into that trade. His his grandfather Christoph Heusler was uh, had some notoriety as a book printer. Then his father Lanhart was uh, really and is to this day much 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 better known as the Heusler for publishing Buchdrucker book printers of Nuremberg. Um, so I posted that little PDF, that little uh, bio uh, two-page deal on him. And, um, you know, how the Internet is. Somebody read that in uh, around the world, and uh, I was contacted. 
uh, in November, I think of 2014, uh, received an email from a gentleman named Jorn Erik Uvald, and he's in um, Denmark. And he basically said that, uh, hey, uh, I read your your biographical essay on, on uh, Heusler, and I'd like to inform you that I am a living descendant of his, this Mr. Ovald, Jorn Eric Ovald. And I said, wow, that's cool. And uh, so he and I began pen palling back and forth, and next thing you know, Jorn is sharing with me uh, his uh, extensive collection of uh, his, his own genealogical research of Sebastian Heusler and his family all the way back. I was I was blown away because here's a fencing master from the uh, early 17th century who now we're finding out about uh, uh, a really, really detailed and comprehensive military history about the man. And I thought, wow, this, this is, this is book worthy. And I started collecting and branching off my, my area of study from primarily Joachim Meyer into this, uh, this other Freifester, Sebastian Heusler. I love anything Freifester. And of course, uh, we find that Heusler uh, was uh, was true to that vein as a Freifester. How and where he became one is is less certain. Um, so, having access to several of Heusler's uh, extant versions of his uh, of his manuscripts, I decided to translate. It was a it was a great undertaking. As many hundred pages and uh, a lot of uh, beautiful images, but the but the text was. Uh, very reminiscent of uh, Fabri, the rapier of an Italian master, uh, Signor, Sal Signor Salvatore Fabri from Italy. I guess uh, I later come to find out that uh, Sebastian Heusler was a student and had learned firsthand uh, from this Italian master at some point in his life and somewhere in the world. And we can almost pinpoint the exact date that he had uh, traveled once I did a biographical a deep dive into the biography of Heusler let's say he was born in uh, 1581 and um, by uh, 16 the early 1600s he was well schooled in in the printing business had uh, he appears on the book printers guild archives uh, as a book printer there around the turn of the 17th century, so 1600-1601. He gets married in August of 1601 to Sabrina Prunstra. He was 20, and it looked like he was continuing on continuing on with his vocation in the Book Printers Guild. Um, he bought a house in 1603, um, was listed in the rolls as a book printer from 1601 to 03. He drops out of the rolls surprisingly, uh, 1604-05, for those two-year period, he was not a book printer, not listed on their rolls, and then again, jumped back into it between 1606 and 07. Um, but his name was then stricken thereafter, 1608 on. So I guess in those days, you were listed as a book printer in their, in their official capacity in a, in a guild, in a trades guild, and that gives us good records about him and his whereabouts. And a lot of those records still exist in archives today in Nuremberg. I've accessed some of them for this, uh, for my published book on him. Um, but backing up a little bit, he did he did work 
uh, in that trade in the late 1590s as a typesetter and a press operator for the Lochners and for others in Nuremberg. So he was definitely active in that trade. He has several published works to his name. I've found them and discovered this. You know, it's very, very few. But I don't think that he really was into that trade at all. He definitely had a love for the fencing arts, the sword arts, and he, um, I guess that drew him away from his own, uh, his own, uh, his own vocation, as it were, uh, regardless of the fact that he had a wife and, and kids to support. He's disappearing for a year or two at a time. We assume he's off learning fencing arts somewhere else he comes back and um tries to make enough money to keep the family going and you know it's it was interesting to read and study and research about this guy because he seemed a bit of a cad to have a wife and and quite a few children and then just off he goes to uh to the military to the uh, to to the wars and it wasn't even for uh, a German unit. He traveled far to the north and somehow ended up uh, initially fighting for uh, Sweden, Denmark, back to Sweden, back to Denmark. I mean, he was a sword for hire. He went and he went and uh, did what he had to do there. And it's just very interesting this man's this man's history and his travels. At some point, I'd like to make a documentary about his uh, about his travels I, I i've got a lot of uh, geographic exact geographic locations where we we know he was and where he participated in some war i've got quite a list and obviously those were included in the uh in my book about him and that that would be very very interesting to retrace his steps starting in nuremberg and and all the way up through uh and all the things he did fascinating guy so getting back to this the man um the man was a prolific swordsman. Obviously, he was not just a uh, an average swordsman. Not only was he an excellent swordsman, but he published works uh, on that for the Germans at the time in German in the Fraktur script. It was interesting that he, because he was a book printer, he was in that trade, had many connections, so he was able to uh, print. Uh, some books he's definitely well known for his 1615 uh, new artful fencing book that's again roughly based on the Italian rapier master Salvatore Fabri he's known to have published a second work in 1616 with a Johannes Renner and this was a book on flag waving which is very very interesting that means that he had to have been in some capacity, as a lieutenant or an ensign, and in those Landsknecht regiments back then, they were well well organized. And uh, the man with the flag, the men with the flags were responsible for uh, communications and also um, expressing um, commands using the flags. So that you know they didn't have radios like we do today, and and uh, the semaphores has been uh, been used for many many centuries. Um, 
prior to uh, effective communications in in combat. So he wrote this flag waving manuscript, and it's very very beautiful. I'm going to be publishing a translation of that pretty soon. I've got uh, I paid for the rights to those uh, images, and there's some beautiful beautiful images in there, and um, it's just very fascinating to think that this man was. In addition to being a, a, a very a very talented fencer and warrior, in his initial role he was I assume he was probably a Fenrish, an ensign, like a like a lieutenant who was well respected and uh, considered bold and brave enough to to carry the banner of that uh, Landsknecht regiment and uh, and swing that flag around. So we know we know he. Uh, he started out there and just he just never looked back as far as warfare goes because post sixteen sixteen um we really don't see him personally publishing any more works um but again in sixteen twenty six in sixteen thirty uh there there are there are subsequent editions or abridged versions of his pub of his earlier published works. Um, some of those were done by the original publishing house, the Lochners, and uh, others were not. It's it's a it's an interesting read to try to figure out um, how all that happened. Um, but I did this translation of his 1615 Rapier and Rapier Dagger work because I think his works deserve to be studied. Um, it's it's a, it's an amazingly simple. Uh, language that he used he must have transcribed translated the original Fabri and he quote-unquote Germanized that I think is uh, fascinating and um, maybe advantageous for some of us today to read and understand that this is not uh, you don't need a degree in in classic Italian literature to understand these these very very efficient and effective and succinct uh, uh, rapier uh, techniques, the physical techniques uh, that 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 we find in his 1615 work. Um, so, let me jump back to the family tradition. Christoph Heusler, grandfather, ended up in Nuremberg early on, uh, 1540s maybe. Becomes a book printer there. Married. He runs into some trouble with the city council. Very interesting stories there. Um, the whole time the the Reformation is going on, the book printers of Germany and mostly Europe, but specifically Germany, they they were they were on the the cutting edge of releasing um, some of these controversial religious um, priests and speakers, and and of course Christoph Heusler ran afoul of the city council. Uh, published or brought into to that city of Nuremberg some some works that were were not cool with the uh, city council and he had to pay a fine and apologize and uh, you know but a lot of book printers were doing that at the time to get the word out the uh, there was a lot of Calvinists and Melanchthonians and etc these 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 early reformers they had to get their words out and they did a lot through the book printers so Christoph grandfather to Sebastian Heusler did that um, with his controversial works um, and then of course Leonhardt Sebastian Heusler's father 
he had quite a quite a storied career of publishing works, a lot of theological writings and essays, booklets, pamphlets um, during that great time of religious upheaval in Germany, 1550s, with Leonhard Häusler, and um, he did Lutheran music and uh, hymnal books into the 1560s and 70s and eventually Leonhardt ran afoul of the city council as well and this was at a very again a turbulent time and the duke in that area had said no we don't want any of this uh, particular uh, controversial <clears throat> reform uh, reformers words and so what Leonhardt must have done was allowed someone else to use his presses and print this stuff out and um, of course that made it to the the purview of the uh, the provosts or the or the town council and uh, Leonhardt Sebastian Heusler's father gets drugged then before them to the city of Nuremberg and um, he was accused of, of uh, publishing banned works um, just similar to his father Christoph had done the same thing. I mean, it was it was it was a no-no, um, and it didn't it didn't go over well with them this time. He couldn't he couldn't just explain himself away, as uh, Christoph did. Leonhard absolutely ended up being imprisoned in the basement of the uh, the Ratshaus, the uh, the town councilor's main. Uh, administrative building I guess in the basement they probably had some type of a, a damp dark area where they would throw you and it's funny because the the things that I discovered the arch in archival records they had balled up and wadded up all of Hoistler's, uh printed works and threw them down there to rot and he had to he was uh, he had to see that that symbolism of him rotting beside those rotting works you know and eventually uh he it was petitioned and and he was Leonard Hoisler was then was then let out but i think at that point his, his career was over uh as far as a book printer and he was old and maybe that imprisonment had taken a physical toll on him and um of course he knew he had his son Sebastian to take up uh, the family printing business, which Sebastian did around the 15, late 1590s, after Sebastian had been working as a setter, typesetter, and press operator. Now he becomes a book printer himself. And uh, he had quite a legacy to uphold there with his father, Lanhart. He, he had a Lanhart had a huge list of, of printed works that last to this day, some, some very beautiful. And interesting uh, works and I suggest you uh, look him up there's a lot of history about Lanhard Hoisler's printed works um, and a few about uh, the grandfather Christoph so Sebastian uh, is dabbling he doesn't ever seem to be really 100% committed to this uh, to this book printing business and 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 he's basically drawn to the sword arts there's there's in his 1615 um, in the introduction he he basically says as much that he is just totally completely sold on this he studies the theory of it and and 
I mean, it's uh, it's one thing to study the sword and and as a, as a martial art, but uh, he actually went and used it then, as as we shall see. Um, so, like I said, about sixteen oh two oh three, Sebastian's married. He's got quite a few children at that point. I think close to seven, many daughters, uh, a few sons. Um, he's got this house. He's got the business that he inherited from his father. He's really, he's really doing well. But around, uh, he publishes 1615, 1616. He publishes two works, and then after that, boom, he is, he is, he's off the rolls, and uh, he's gone from Nuremberg. He he absolutely uh, goes to war after 1617 and if you understand the 30 years war uh, beginning right around that time 1618 ish um, there was there was no uh, want of work for someone like him and I guess he just uh, he just took off being a rogue he takes off um, had fulfilled all the requirements to be a printer but yet there his love for the uh, nightly fencing arts you know it was just too great a pull and uh, we see that in his in his printed works so off he goes and um, we don't I was unable to find too much about him between 1670 1617 and 1619 or 20 and then he turns up um, as a captain in a, uh, a Landsknecht regiment, um, serving with the king of Denmark at the time was Christian the Fourth, and um, Christian was an ambitious ruler at the time. Uh, he had a fifty-nine year reign in Denmark. Uh, his father was King Frederick the Second. Christian the Fourth took over, succeeded to the throne when he was young. Um, he made some sweeping reforms. He was well educated, but definitely was uh, was into was into war, and um, he wanted to improve the economic conditions within Denmark. But also, he knew that on the continent of Europe there was war coming, with the religious reformations and expansions of other countries. But he had to rely on mercenary forces. And I think uh, that's probably how Sebastian Heusler ended up being employed there uh, as a mercenary um, by Christian IV. He had some initial, uh, he declared war uh, on Sweden in 1611. Christian IV declared war on them and invaded. And they had a few, Denmark had a few uh, victories uh, laying siege to Kalmar and and. Then the Swedes stormed the port of Christianople, led by Gustavus Adolphus, who Heusler would eventually work for. I mean, there was no loyalty at the time. It shows how Heusler was really in it for the... He was in it for the money, I guess. It, it wasn't a, a loyalty thing for him. Um, so this early on, 1611, 1610, these wars, Heusler was not part of that. Um but it was definitely 1620s uh, Heusler then 
is uh, is on the roll is on the rolls of having served and um, in a in a regiment. So 1626, um, Sebastian is listed in Joachim Hunikin's foot regiment. He's a major. Uh, November 13th, 1626. And it's interesting because during that same year, 1626, a, uh, a version uh, of a book Hoistler published earlier uh, on rapier and dagger was published. So we know that obviously Sebastian Hoistler was not in Nuremberg working for the Ludwig Lochner uh, printing house. He was, uh, he was elsewhere in 1626, so one of his works was published then while he was uh, in uh, Hunikin's Foot Regiment. And I, I'd like to assume that that was based on um, maybe the family. His wife and seven kids needed some, needed some money and uh, went to Lochner and said, here's what we need to do. And they published some works, and they're beautiful works. I've translated them, and some of the images are amazing. Rapier, Rapier, and Dagger. So this Joachim Hunikin and his foot regiment um, had a few other officers, German officers, uh, with him, and one of them was this uh, was Heusler. Now, where Heusler had been a Fenrich, a flag waver, back in 1616 or 1617, I was unable to discover. But let's just assume that he was always involved uh, simultaneously with the book printing business later in life and also studying this war or, or or actually participating or serving. So I'm constantly researching, trying to find more uh, about Hoysler, these fill-in-the-blanks and the holes that I have was uh, unable to discover uh, initially. And that's one of them. That's a big hole. Where was he uh, during that time, 1616, 1618, 19, and 20, up until 26, actually, because that's the first written evidence we see of him. And by then, he's already a major, a captain, a major, in a, in a foot regiment uh, of 2,000 soldiers. Uh, you know, so there's quite a bit of information about those regiments, how they were formed and where, up in Mecklenburg, um, early on in the pay. And orders, I discovered orders for Hunikin to, uh, to gather a uh, a group together by the Duke of Mecklenburg, and these were these were the sides were definitely drawn. I mean, it was the the Catholic Empire versus or versus everyone else, and the reformists uh, they wanted their way, and the uh, the emperor really wanted to uh, enforce his way, and so a lot of these Germans uh, went off as they've done for hundreds of years prior. They go off as Landsknechts, ser ser servants of the land. They were mercenaries. Uh, but by this time, I think they were well organized, and there was a lot of uh, orders of battle and and whatnot. And um, so we see Heusler uh, having participated uh, in one of the first major uh, engagements in August of 1626. He participated in the Battle of Luther, and that was a the culmination of a campaign which was again Christian the fourth forces. Uh, was trying to support the Protestants in Lower Saxony, and uh, of course the the imperial uh, forces were brutal. Their Catholic oppression was brutal, and so many Germans who didn't want a part of the war they turned to the Protestants. And of course, many of the the lords and dukes and nobles in Lower Saxony uh, they weren't really sure who to uh, who to throw their hat in with and um, uh, 
there was quite a few defeats uh, on both sides. And of course, uh, Hoysler then served admirably in this battle. We don't we don't know exactly exact details about what he did, um, but we just know that he was there and participated in that. Now later on, you'll hear uh, that Hoysler ended up working for a uh, the king of Sweden, uh, Adolphus Gustavus, and there we know exactly what units he was in. I was able to track this uh, regiment um, that Hoysler was in charge of a particular part of, and it's a very, very uh, a fascinating read. We'll definitely get to that um, next. I think maybe I will uh, wrap this up in a minute here. Um, as I'm reading through, I, I hope you all look my book up on Amazon. Um, Sebastian Hoysler, New Artful Fencing Book, a translation and biographical account by Kevin Maurer was a lot of fun writing this book and uh, I've had a lot of good reviews and and a lot of good feedback from people so let me uh, let me wrap this up so we don't go longer than 30 minutes and I'll I'll try to do a part two here we'll pick up where I left off and uh, and like I said thanks for listening uh, to rabbit hole research stay tuned for more stuff more interesting facts and uh, I always try to relate this back to the historical European martial arts and this study. And uh, again, we appreciate y'all listening. All right. We shall uh, be back at you here soon. Thank you. Mm -hmm.